3,600. Actually, there was four, about 4,000 years as, as between uh, Genesis uh, all the way up to, uh, to Matthew. Okay, so because there's 400 years of silence. All right, let's, let's jump up to the, uh, to the New Testament. Let's just some of the questions. Uh, how many Gospels are there? Four Gospels. Can you name any of those? Matthew, Luke, yeah, Luke, John, yeah, Mark, Mark, yeah, very good, very good. You know what gospel means? I'm not sure we covered that, but do you know what it means? If we didn't cover that, then we're going to cover it right now. It means good news, just simply good news. Okay. Do you remember the one book of history in the New Testament? It's where the church was born. Book of Acts. Book of Acts. Okay, the book of Acts tells you the birth of the church. Everything that pertains to how the church originated was there. Now, the, the uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell you about what? Christ. Right. Tell you about Jesus. Book of Acts tells you how to get into Jesus. And then there is another. There's 14 books that Paul wrote. Then there's seven general ones. Uh, and they're called what? Do you remember the name of those? Sounds like Apostles. Epistles, yeah, that's good. Epistles, good. And that's letters written to the church. So they tell you how to stay in Christ. All right? And there's one book of prophecy in the New Testament. Only one book of prophecy. Everybody gets scared to death. They read it and they throw their Bible down. Revelation, very good, very good. Revelation. All right, so you're doing pretty good there. Do you remember why Jesus taught in parables? parables. It was to confound the wise, the people who had the wisdom of this world who understood uh, you know, things in, a, in a, what we would call, some people call a deeper manner. All right, so he taught, uh, he taught like the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the prodigal son, the various things, so that people that, could, could, you know, that were just wanting to find the truth could easily grasp the way he was teaching. That made it easier for people like me. Okay, much easier. All right, not bad. Not bad. Keep it up. Now we're going to be adding to your knowledge here today, so you'll have more to answer next week. Okay, Peter receives the, kings, the keys to the kingdom. Let's look at, at, at Matthew 16. Matthew 16. And um, I'm going to start with verse 17. But what I want to do before I get there, I want you to kind of have an understanding here uh, that when, when we get to this point right here in the Bible study, the Lord's Galilean ministry had just about come to a close. Uh, only days before he had multiplied the loaves and the fishes, before he came to this, he had done these miracles. He'd done many uh, wonderful things up to this time. And uh, so now, you know, you had people, multitude, that they, they wanted to proclaim him as the king. And had, had Jesus at this time decided to overthrow the Roman dominion, Countless numbers would have enthusiastically followed him because they see him as he was. They, a lot of people have begun to announce him as the Messiah. Uh, you know, so Jesus would have been heralded as, as the king at this time. So what he did, instead of allowing that to happen, is that he went off with his disciples to a, a, a faraway place or a secret place, if you would. He took them away, away from all the throng, away from all the people, and he began to teach them and talk to them. And this is what I'm going to read. This is the, the, the layout of exactly what was happening at this time. And look at verse, uh, well, let me just start at verse 16. And it said, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, now Jesus had just come to them and he said, Whom do men say that I am? He was asking them the question because he knew that a lot of people were ready to, to set him up as a king. Whom do men say that I am? And, and they went to answer him, and some say that thou art Elijah, others Jeremiah, and some say John the Baptist. And then Jesus said, but who do you think I am? And this is, Peter spoke up, and he said, thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus answered, and he said unto them, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now I want you to note this. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, in their time, the, the time they're living in, in their age, in their era, a key was a symbol of authority. In fact, a key was so important that they used to, a key similar to what we have today, some of the big, you know, you've seen some of the big skeleton keys, only these were larger. And they would hang these keys around their neck, and that was, that was a symbol that this person had authority. Well, think about it, you and I. You know, I, I decided to go off on a Caribbean cruise, and I give you the keys to my house. I said, all right, Bill, come in there and check my house out while I'm gone. Well, I get back from my Caribbean cruise, and that'd be a... I can imagine me going on a Caribbean cruise. That's so ignorant. It'd be more like going on African safari. But we're just going to do it for the sake of everybody that's listening to us. But so, so I come back and I see my house is empty. And I, 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 there's, you know, there's no obvious sign anybody broke in. So guess who? Guess who? I'm going. To, I'm going to come to your house and I say, Hey, what happened to everybody? You had the authority. You had my key. So, so this is what Jesus was doing to Peter. He said, All right, you have got the key. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now you, you think of this. Now, what, you know, you think about what, to, to bind means to prohibit or to loose. And I'll come this a little deeper. I won't go quite as deep with this, but it, it means to, or to, to loose means to permit. Binding and loosening simply inferred uh, to the prohibiting or permitting certain actions. This was also claimed by the rabbis at this time. Jesus now transferred these two powers to his apostles under the guidance of the Holy Ghost. So he transferred them to them. Although Jesus never attempted to organize his church, he left that up to his disciples, his apostles. So he was binding and loosening. Now, in, in, the, in the original language here, to bind, when he said, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, had to mean, uh, actually meant, whatever you bind on earth must already be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth must already be loosed in heaven. So in other words, he didn't give him the authority to go, I said, well, I bind you, I bind this, I bind that, just do whatever I wanted to. It had to already be clear in the scripture, in the teachings of Jesus, what was to be bound and what was to be loosed. But he was organized. He had the authority. So, so at this point, now you think about this, at this point, I could take you to the first message that Peter preached. And by what you know right now by the scripture, whatever he preached that we need to do to be saved would have to be right. That would have to be because Jesus just gave him the authority to do so. Whatsoever you bind, whatsoever you lose. All right? So the, so the church then, so he was, he was opening the door to church. He, uh, the church is a kingdom of called out believers. We're called out. Now think about this. This is a, this is a time when the Jews, the churches, is brand new. It's just being born, okay? Just getting ready to be born. And, he, and he's, he's telling them, he said, now these are the called out. We're called out from everybody else. We're different. We're, we're a different group of people. We're not to be like them. That's, that's what he was telling him. So he goes on, and, and we see later that he opens the door to salvation. That's when I just made the statement. Now, um, up on this rock, let's look at this just for a moment. Let's go to Ephesians 2.20. Ephesians 2.20. Just a few pages back. You just tell me when you get there. Because he says, he said, upon this rock... I will build my church. Okay, now, just before we read it, there's groups out there that say that the rock that Jesus built his church upon was Peter. And that Peter was the first head of the church, per se. We don't say what the group is. And to understand it, you have to understand the language. Because he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. When he said rock, the original language was Petros, which means rock that was so big that no one can contain it. And the reason they believe that Peter was a rock, because Peter means 
Petra, or small stone. So a lot of people believe they're saying it, but Petra just simply means the little rock. The little rock is the one who preached the truth that became the Petros. It's not Peter that was built upon. It was what Peter preached. It's God's word. And God's word is what we build upon. Not, not, the, not the sense of Peter. Peter wasn't the first head of, of the church, per se, in, in that, that term. So let's look at Ephesians 2 and verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles. Let's look at this. They're the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now notice it's Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. When they used to build buildings... They don't do that so much anymore, but they had one huge stone that was in a corner. That whole building, every side leaned on that one cornerstone. You pulled that cornerstone out, the whole thing came down. And that's what they're saying about Jesus. Jesus is, everything leans on him. Everything is on Jesus Christ. Now, what did Peter do? He went about and he began to preach and open the doors first to the Jews. Let's look at Acts 2, verse 12. Acts 2, verse 12. This when you get there. Let me know. Acts two, verse twelve through forty one. I normally don't read this much, but we're going to read it because he opened the door to the Jews first. Then he went to the Samaritans and then to the, or I'm sorry, yeah, to the Samaritans and then to the Gentiles. Uh, what I'll do is I'll skip read so I won't have to read the whole thing. I'll just start do parts of it. Acts 2, verse 12. And we're all amazed and then we're in doubt, saying, One to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words, for these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing as but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And he goes on, and he says, Upon servants and handmaids I pour out my spirit. Uh, going on down. I was just going to jump through that. You can read that at, at some other time. Uh, look at verse, uh, verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, and when the people heard him preach this, the Bible says in that same verse, he said, They were pricked in their hearts, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They asked an honest question. Look at this. You know, he preached conviction. They felt this. They knew. You know, I, and this is Peter. He's got the keys. He's opening a door here. They want the door of salvation had to be opened to the Jews first because the Jews were originally God's first chosen people. So it was to the Jews first. And then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children. It didn't say to just the twelve apostles, did it? It said, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all them that are far off. That's us. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So there's the answer right there. So he opened the door to the Jews. He also opened the door to the Samaritans. Let's go to Acts 8. Just a couple pages over. Remember, the book of Acts is a book of history. That's how we know how to get into the church. Acts 8. Okay, look at verse 14. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Oh, Simon the sorcerer wanted to buy the gift. And, you know, they looked at him and said, Hey, he said, You can't buy the gift of God. There's no one. This is free. That's the wonderful thing about this. This is free. Jesus already paid. We're going to look at that, what he paid in just a moment. Let's go to Acts 10. Just a couple of pages over. Acts 10. 
He opened the door to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and to the Gentiles. I want you to understand something about the Samaritans. Not only did the Jews hate the Gentiles, we're Gentiles, but they despised the Samaritans because they were half-breeds. They were half-Jew and half-Gentile. And so they hated them. And so we see God coming in and pouring out the same spirit on these half-breeds they hated as he did on them, and then on Gentiles, what they despised as well. So what does that tell us? Is that God is no respecter of persons. Everybody is equal on his side. There's no big me, little you, none of that. Everybody's equal. That's a great thing when you begin to look at it and understand it and, and just let it get impressed in your heart. Look at verse 44, chapter 10. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because and on the Gentiles also they were astonished. And Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them, look at that, to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So he commanded them to be baptized. The Holy Ghost was being poured out. They were speaking in other tongues. They were having a great time because Peter was using the key that Jesus had given him to open the doors of salvation to the Jews, Gentiles, and to the Samaritans. All right? So he had the keys. Now, let's look at the path to Christ's death. Okay, let's begin to understand this and, and uh, get some understanding of this, rather. And... Uh, i got a feeling that this lesson is going to be just a little slow. Okay, it's just going to have to happen that way. Let's look, at, uh, let's look at the Last Supper, Luke 22. Luke 22. Now, at this time, he, he had talked to his disciples. He gave, he gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. And his time was growing short. And he realized that his time was growing short. And he knew that his betrayal was at hand. So he brought them all together. He brought them all together to, uh, to have the... Luke, I'm sorry, Luke 22, verse 7. Luke 22, verse 7. He brought them all together to, have the, uh, to uh, celebrate the Passover, which he changed the Passover. Now, the Passover was a Jewish feast. All right, it was, it was uh, commemorating uh, them coming out of Egypt... The lamb was slain. They were to eat the lamb. The blood was applied to the doorpost. That will be the Old Testament, which we'll come back to, and you'll see that. But he was changing that. This was to be because he's the lamb of God. And it was going to be about his blood that was shed. So this was the Last Supper, and he did this. This is the last thing that he was able really to celebrate with them. So he was making this change. Now look Luke 22 and verse 7. Luke 22 and verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go, you prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And when they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall be a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he, he enter in, and you shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished there. He said, I want you to make ready. And they, and they went and found, and he said unto them that they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve sat down with him. And he said unto them, With desire I desire to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until... It be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. He took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. He gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now this is where we get uh, the, uh, the, the, you know, the communion service. You know, understand the communion service, the Last Supper. is commemoration. The, the wine in the cup commemorates or we're done in remembrance of the blood that he shed. It doesn't literally become the blood. It is done in remembrance of it. The unleavened bread represents his broken body. We do that in remembrance of him. You know why we do that? Because we have a tendency to forget, all of us. 
have a tendency. So whenever you know we do communion here, only once a year. But I don't want it to become something that people just don't think about. They just do. I want people to remember and understand the, the, what, what's going on here. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm drinking of this wine. I'm drinking of this or eating of this bread. And when I drink of that wine, I remember the blood that he shed so I can be saved. I remember his body that was broken on the cross and on the scourging post. So I can, that scourging post, you're going to, I hope we get to it today. You're going to see why you're, you're healed. You're going to understand it when we're done here. You're going to understand that. But he did that because he loved us. And for me to take anything. All right, now. And he goes on, verse 22, and he said, or uh, sorry, verse 21. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me with me betrayed me is with me at this table, and both as it were determined to the man by whom he is betrayed. It commemorates it's a Last Supper. Again, this is where we have communion. It's a commemoration of this. They were doing this in celebration of the Passover, but he changed it to remember him. Okay, and from there, and from there he goes and look verse thirty-nine. Look at verse thirty-nine. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he came out and went, as it was wont, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to the disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before him and drew him near unto Jesus and kissed him. Now I want you to note, from the Last Supper, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where Jesus really died. He had to die to human will. You had within the body of Jesus Christ the divine spirit and you had a human spirit and a human will. He had to die. You think about any one of us. If we knew what was going to happen, we would, we would do everything we could to stop it from happening. He had to go and he had to submit his human will into the divine will of God. He had to, and this is where he really died. And it said that he prayed so hard that, that the capillaries was ruptured under his skin and, and what he sweated was blood, and it can really happen. You can be so intent on something that you can rupture capillaries under your skin and, and begin to, to, uh, to actually sweat blood. He prayed that hard. And as he prayed, eight of the disciples stayed at the garden gate. Three of them, three of them came with him just a little further in the garden. And that one of them, of course, was Peter that he had just given the keys of the kingdom to, and here he was asleep. You know, but it, it, there's a difference here. He seen Peter in the future after God had got finished with him. But Peter at this time is still just like anybody else. Just that same old Peter. Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. He's asleep while Jesus is over agonizing in prayer, knowing what's going to happen to him. And so as he begins to pray, and as he gets up from the third time of getting up and coming back uh, again, the, the, the garden, the, the crowd begins to come in. There's Roman soldiers that begin to walk in. I don't know what they thought. There was 13 of them here. I don't know what they thought. They said that, they said that they brought around 70 soldiers with them to take in this suit. Now Peter, of course, he wakes up, and just like everybody else, he's going to do it his way. He grabs his sword and... And the, and the high priest's uh, body servant is there, Malchus, and he cuts off Malchus's ear. He tried to cut his head off, but he missed. And so he cuts off his ear. And, uh, and you know, and, and, and Jesus trying to show Peter, this is not what this is all about. He picked up the ear that he cut off, and he healed the ear. Put the ear back on Malchus and healed the ear. And he said, you know, he said, he that liveth by the sword shall die by the sword. So, so we see in, in this situation how he's trying to present to them a different kingdom. Not a kingdom where someone comes riding in on a great white charger and takes over and defeats the Roman army. His defeat is something different. It's the spiritual hearts of men and women everywhere that he wants to get a hold of. So he goes in and we see the trial before Caiaphas. Let's look at, uh, let's look at, let's look at Matthew. We're going to just kind of skip read down through there. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. 
verse 57. Now, everything they did at this trial was wrong. They were trying him at midnight. According to the Jewish law, it should have been daylight. It should have been in, in a court. Instead, it was in Caiaphas' house. None of this was right. Everything they did was against their own law. But they did it anyway. Now, all this we know has to be done so the Scripture can be fulfilled. But, you know, they didn't have a clue what they were doing. They just did everything wrong. They did everything that they did was against what they believed in. In verse 57 it said, And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off in the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses. And said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to them, Answerest thou nothing that is which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell me whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So Jesus finally admitted to them who he was. Caiaphas had just become the high priest. Annas was his father-in-law. He had replaced him. And he was trying to get the, uh, the, the people, you know, to, to get the people on his side. So he wanted to do something in all, all politics. That's what it amounted to, all politics. So he's betrayed, and, and as he's betrayed, things are getting ready. Finally, they turn him over to, to, uh, to Pilate, and then Pilate turns him over to Herod, and, and they beat him, and we're going to see that in just a minute, and, and, and do terrible things to him, and all because of two witnesses that were paid off, to say the, right, the, the wrong thing, actually. Now let's look at Judas. And Judas is the one who betrayed him with a kiss. Walked into the Garden of Gethsemane, kissed him on the cheek, and that's how the soldiers knew who, to, who to, uh, to pick up. Look at Matthew 27. Right there close, aren't we? Okay, look at verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You know, I know now he sees what he's done. This is an innocent man. I, I betrayed. Think, put yourself in his place. You've seen all the miracles. You've seen him heal people. You've seen him put Malchus' ear back on. You've seen blinded eyes open. You've seen lepers be cleansed. You've seen all this. And yet he betrays this, this, this Savior for 30 pieces of silver. Because Satan, the Bible says, at the Last Supper, Satan came in and went into Judas. Right here. So don't ever think... No matter how, you can be in the best church service in the world, and, and Satan can be right there. Enter into the person and cause all kinds of problems. So it doesn't matter. You know, he's always right around somewhere just to try to get you. That's the reason we have to be aware constantly of the, of the pitfalls that the devil will set for us. So he, he goes out and he, you know, he, he says, this man's innocent. There's, there's nothing that he has done wrong. Okay, look, going on down, verse 4 saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. So the price of Jesus' blood was 30 pieces of silver. And they took that and bought a place for strangers to be buried in. So even, even in this sense, Jesus helped the poor. Even in that sense. All right, look at, verse, or look at 5 here. Okay, look at Matthew 27 again. Matthew 27. And we're going to look at verse uh, 1 and 2. Okay. And when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. All right. And look at verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. 
Then said Pilate unto to him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him, But never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast the governor was wont to release to them people, a prisoner whom they would. And they had him to know and they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas, or Jesus, which is called the Christ. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And he was set down on the judgment seat. His wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But to the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Whether of the twain will you that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, What evil has he done? But they cried the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he would prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. They answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and our children. Do you understand what was said right there? It's the reason the Jewish people are having troubles today. Because they said, let his blood be on us and our children. So all that passes right down to our time today. The reason they're struggling the way they have trouble one thing after the other is because of the innocent blood. They released a murderer and let Jesus be crucified. One of the most terrible ways in the world to die. They had him do it. And he said, let his blood be on us. If we ever, if, if people could know and understand what was going on in the spiritual world, could understand what they were doing at the time, you wonder, would they truly have said that? Would they truly have said this? All right, let's go on down to uh, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him, put him on him a scarlet robe and when they had planted a crown of thorns they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying hail king of the Jews and they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head that's a lot of people don't realize what happened here as well when they planted a crown of thorns uh, the thorns in Israel were six inches long and when they crowded it they stuck down his head they took that reed and they hit it they drove those thorns all the way to his skull so he would have had blood running down into his face. He would have had the pain. You understand how much a scalp wound bleeds. You can see how all those being driven into his skull could have hurt and how painful that would have been. So they, they did this. They mocked him. They spit upon him. And they led him away. And they took the robe from him, put him in his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. Okay, now, let's look at, uh, let's look at Luke 23. Luke 23. I want to read this one as well. I think it's at 23 right there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, I'm going to look for a scripture here. Stop finding what I want to find here. Let me look at this. <coughs> I'm going to have to go back to Bible school. That's it, huh? That's not what I'm looking for. I'll go back to Matthew 27. That's the great thing about teaching is when I get hung up, everybody knows it. I'm not supposed to get hung up, but I do. All right, let me uh, let me look again. Well, you know what? I'll just I'll move on. I'll go. I'll come back to it. Okay. I think it's on the next chart anyway. All right. So they took him in. They got him prepared for crucifixion. And we won't, won't bother to read Luke 23. Got him prepared. They took him out, and they found one Simon of Cyrene. As he began to to, and we're going to come back. I think it's uh, well, it should be this next one. Here. Yeah, right there. That's what I'm looking for. 
we'll come to that. They took him out. They scourged him. Now, and we're going to come back to that. Um, I'll tell you what, let's do. Let's go to it right now. Oh, I want to go there now. Okay. Because when they took him and scourged him, they beat him with a, what's called a cat of nine tails. Uh, and it was a, a severe, severe beating. This is right before they, they'd already planted the crown of thorns, placed upon his head. They took him to a scourging post. They would run a leather thong above the scourging post and pull down and have his hands tied, and they would keep to where just his toes was able to touch the ground. That would stretch the skin on your back just as tight as they possibly could, could stretch it. And all this was done, and this was, this was horrible. I, I don't think anybody can... I've, I've read several... Uh, things about it. I've read how the Romans did this. I've read books concerning all this. And, and what happened here was uh, much more intense than a lot of people realize. And uh, they were able to kill a man by just doing this. But they didn't. And, you know, I've heard preachers preach uh, 39 stripes is what he took. That was according to Israel's law. But they were, he was beaten by a Roman, and that means they could beat him as much as they wanted. So it wasn't 39 stripes. They took him a whole, whole lot more than that. What they did was this cat of nine tails, which actually had pieces of lead on the end, bronze, hooks, pieces of bone, uh, wire, uh, anything that they could tip it with. Now, they took the lead, of course that gave it its weight, and when they, they hit with the tips of that lead, these, these centurions were so good that they could take the lead and they would bruise your skin. Then they could take the backside of it with the bone tips, the wire, and, and various things, and they would cut where they bruised. Well, all those, of course, you, you cut into your capillaries, and then they can keep opening it up. And they opened it up till it got down past the muscle. Then it got into the arteries. And they would, the, the Roman centurion would make the determination when to stop. They did not want him dead yet. They want him crucified. So they took him to the very point of death. Now, this is how he had to carry his cross. He had had this done to him. They took a cross that was, it wasn't done in a, a mill somewhere where they had it all nice and smooth. It was rough hewn. Weighed 200 pounds. And they put that on his back that had just been opened up. And he had to carry it up top of a hill. Simon Cyrene, he couldn't do it. He was weak from loss of blood. Uh, Simon carried his cross for him, from him. Simon the Cyrene, he carried it for him up into. And it said later that uh, just that little, he just seen Jesus that short time. But it says later on, uh, tradition says that Simon took, apparently he said something to him, and he became a Christian, took it back to Africa with him from just being that close to him for that short time. Isn't that something? So they, they took him, they had done this. Now, the reason for this, the, the purpose for this, every drop of blood that Jesus shed was for a reason, healing. For the Bible says in, in Isaiah, by his stripes, Isaiah 53, by his stripes ye are healed. Now, Isaiah prophesied that a thousand years before this ever happened. By his stripes ye are healed. So if he prophesied this and Jesus took this, and we can embrace it, can't we? We're going to come back to this. and just uh, We're going to go back where we were, but I, I want you to get this part because they did this. Let's look at some of this. Luke 22, 19. Luke 22, 19. And I look at you and I, I see that you tell me that you're still free from... Was well, leukemia, right? No, I have uh, liver cancer. Liver cancer, okay. Yeah. And you're still free from it, right? Yeah, well, they, that's what they tell me. Yeah, well, yeah, you are. I got three months to go. Three months till you're completely free. Still not, still nine. Yeah, isn't that great? Isn't that great? God knows what He's doing, doesn't He? Luke 22, 22, verse 19. Okay, we got that. He took bread. Let's see, Luke 22, 19. Yeah, and he took bread and break it. That's not one I want to do. Let's go to Matthew eight seventeen. Matthew eight seventeen. Not the one I want. When I find real easy, you change on me. <laughs> well, this gonna make you a real Bible scholar. Yeah, I, I did. Yeah, makes you so good. I like to have you up here reading Bible for me when I preach. <laughs> okay, here we go. We'll start verse 16. That's all right. Just lay him down there to say. Now, these are the promises of healing. Look at 8, 7, 16. 8, 16. You got it? Yeah. Okay. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed all that were sick. 
that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. Now, I want you to look at that. That's what I just quoted to you earlier, Isaiah. By his stripes we were healed. He said, so this could be fulfilled. He healed them. And then Peter goes back and he uh, also uh, goes back and quotes what Isaiah said. And look at 1 Peter 2.24. We're going to take our time and look at these. 1 Peter 2.24. Get your highlighter and highlight your Bible whenever you get a chance. Just get you one of those highlighting pens, yellow, any any color. As long as you can see it. Okay, First Peter. Okay, First Peter 2:24. All right, and it says, "Who who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin shall live under righteousness." By whose stripes ye were healed. See that Peter said. He said he, when he's crucified, he bore our sins on the tree. And this took our sicknesses and our diseases. Every drop of blood that Jesus shed had a purpose. And we can never, ever take that lightly. For people to say, oh, I, I, you know, we can be. I, I'm a strong believer. I believe I'll be healed till the day I die. And then I really, be, I really will be healed because I have a new body. You know, that's just how I believe it with all my heart. Okay, so, so we look at this, First Peter, by whose stripes we are healed. Now, we won't go there, but Luke 9.11 says, Healed them that had need of healing. And Acts 10.38 says, Healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And let's look at James. You're real close to James. Just uh, go forward, just three pages forward. James 5.15. Okay, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven. I want to just go, let's go above that. I'm going to read above that. Look at verse 13. It said, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith. So we have to believe in what happened here. We have to believe. There's, some, there's about five different ways in the Bible that it talks about being healed. Actually, five different ways. And we're going we're gonna to look at just some of these. And I just read this, anoint with oil. That's James, uh, James 5.15. We just read that one. And look at Mark 16. Mark 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark 16. Fifteen and sixteen. This is part of what's going to be. We're going to later come back to uh, one of the uh, gospels. It's called the Great Commission that uh, we're given, and we're going to read that right now. And later on, you'll recognize it when we come back to it. Okay, Matthew sixteen, fifteen and sixteen. And he said unto them, Go into all the world. I'll wait till you're there. There. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. 
Look at that. That's what signs of belief. It's easy for us to believe. He that believeth is baptized shall be saved. But it's harder for us to believe the rest of it. But yet, one is just as easy as the other. It's easy for Jesus to, to save us. It's just as easy for Jesus to heal us. Just that easy. And, and you know that firsthand. So lay hands on the sick. And we're, we won't go to all these, but another one, Acts 19, 11, and 12. They took handkerchiefs and aprons off the body of Paul. Now, then he, was, he's, he was alive when I say body. When he, he had such an anointing on him that he carried handkerchiefs and, and aprons on his body. And they would take these and they would lay these on people and they would be healed. Even the shadow of Peter. You know, they couldn't get to everybody. And people would throw sick people in the shadow of Peter. When he walked by, his shadow would touch them and they'd be healed. That's how powerful a faith and powerful anointing they had. We see Matthew uh, 18, that people were united in prayer. Where everybody gets together. We have prayer meetings at the church and unite in prayer. We see wonderful things happen when we unite in prayer. We see personal prayer of faith. and We, we see that in, in Mark 11. Uh, you know, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you shall receive them and you shall have them. In Mark 11. So, you know, you see the gifts of healing. It's even in part of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, let me just, let me turn there. 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12 and verse 9. Now these are the gifts of the Spirit, and we'll be coming, we'll be coming to all these gifts later in the in the uh, in the Bible study. But we're just going to give you a taste of it here. Tell me when you're there. Twelve and nine. You there? Okay. To another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts, plural, of healing by the same spirit. You know why it says gifts, plural? Everyone, ever the, all the rest of the gifts of the spirit are singular, but this is plural. And the reason, this is just a little personal thing with me, the reason I believe this is I think when a person, liver cancer, God heals you. You've got faith to be healed of liver cancer. Now they bring someone else up and they say, this man's got liver cancer. I may yell at you in the congregation and say, I want you to come up here and help me pray. You know why? Because you've already been healed of it. And you've got faith for it. So that's the reason I think there's plural. I think some people, uh, you know, could have bad backs, they could have kidney stones, they could have all kinds of things that they, they got more faith because God healed them of that. So everything has a purpose. Everything has a purpose. So these are the gifts. It's all came scorching post. They tell me it's the new medicine. Oh, of course. But you know what? That new medicine probably wouldn't have done a thing if you hadn't been prayed for. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's how you have to you have to see this. Now let's go on. Okay, we got here. Let's go here. Now the Lord makes a covenant. Let me see where we are here. In blood. And uh, all the covenants were always solidified with blood. And if you look, and we're going to read here in just a moment, but ancient covenants that people made, even the pagans, uh, you've heard of the blood brother of the Indians, you know, they cut each other. Well, this, this really happened. This happened uh, in the Middle East. Only what they did was they would cut their wrist and they would hold them over and they'd let both their bloods blend and drip into a uh, glass of wine. And then they'd drink it. And that's, this, this was a covenant. I'm making an agreement with you. My armies will not attack your armies. So they make it in blood. That's how it was a contract. That's how they did it. Abrahamic covenant was sealed in blood. Circumcision. All the male children had to be circumcised at eight days. And even the, uh, when they, you know, this is the covenant that God made with Abraham. Every covenant had to be sealed in blood. So even the adults were, were circumcised uh, later because all the Jewish people were to be, all Jewish men were to be circumcised. And we go on. The Passover lamb. The, when they were delivered, you heard me talk about that earlier, when they de were delivered out of Egypt. You know, the thing was they had to find a lamb. They had to be without spot or without blemish. That lamb was killed. The blood was applied to the to doorpost and to the lentil. It was, a, it was a symbol of a cross, one, two, up here. That was to point forward to when Jesus would take all the sins of the world. So that blood, now when, if, that, if, the, if the Jews didn't have that blood applied, 
the death angel was going over that night. It was going to kill all the Egyptian firstborn. If that blood hadn't been applied to their doorpost, the death angel would have come in and took the firstborn. It's very possible that if it was a family of three, every one of them could have died in that household. They could all have been firstborn. All right, so then we see the blood covenant for sin, and that was the stripes on Jesus' back and then the, the crucifixion. Then we go on and we see the symbols of our new covenant. That's why we have the communion service in remembrance of this, all that happened. All right, let's look at, let's look at, uh, yeah, let's look at, let's look at Mark 14. Mark 14. We just read this one. We're going to just read it again just to kind of get, bring us back into, into line here uh, because the importance to understand why he did what he did, this is the blood, again, of, of, of the New Testament for the mission of sins. You've got to remember we're making a transition from Testaments. The Gospels are between Testaments, between the Old and the New Testament, between the Old Law and the New Covenant. And Jesus, his blood, was the blood of the New Covenant. And we're going to read just again... Uh, we're going to read verse 22 of Mark 14. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread, he blessed, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. He said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, uh, Can't see. There we go. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. So he said, This is my blood for the new covenant, the new thing. Now look at this. Whenever you take the communion service, you do show the Lord's death till he come, according to 1 Corinthians 11.23. So what happens is you look backwards to Calvary, to the cross. And you look forward to the coming of Jesus, the rapture of the church. This is what you do every time. And uh, on our watch night service this year, on January 1st, we always have a watch night service. At midnight for the new year, we'll be taking, taking communion. And this is exactly what we'll do. We'll look back to the cross, what Jesus did for us. And we're going to look forward to the coming of the Lord. There's nothing greater, nothing greater than that. So this is my blood. It's a new covenant in blood. All right? Whoops. Well, we ran out before we got finished. What are we going to do? Probably turn drop it, bro. I don't do All right. Look at John 19 and 30. John 19 and 30. And they took Jesus, uh, Simon the Cyrene, at Boris cross up there. They laid the cross down. They laid Jesus on this cross. And they took spikes. These spikes were 10 inches long. Now, again, when we think of spikes, we think of nails. These nails were, were made by blacksmiths. They were rough. They were square. They were thick. They drove those nails into the palms of his hands, and they drove them into the tops of his feet. And you see on this, it's got a rope, because probably the rope was to keep from tearing out the nail from the palms of his hands. The pain was more than anyone can think. And the, and the way he was doing when he would bend down like this, the pain in his hands and his feet would be excruciating. He would pull himself up, push himself up with his feet. He couldn't breathe, couldn't expand his diaphragm. He would go back down to get a breath. He would go back up. And you've got to remember that when they laid him on this, they laid him on it, they, they, they nailed him down, then they picked that cross up and dropped it into a hole. Do you can imagine the jolt, what it would have done to the tearing, tearing free. So the pain was terrible. The pain was terrible. Uh, what he was feeling and what he went through. Let's look at John 19, verse 30. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. Now he'd come up to them. 
they offered him gall. Now, gall was a, a painkiller. He wouldn't take it. He, he wanted to suffer and feel. I, I, again, when we look at this cross, we take it so lightly. All the sin of the world and the future, everything that anybody was ever going to do that was wrong, went on him. He was the sinless son of God. He didn't know what sin was. He'd never committed sin. Do you imagine, can you imagine the, the contradiction the Bible says that he felt? You know, the Bible says that the earth became dark. Yeah, it would become dark because uh, uh, everything around him was dark. He didn't know what sin was, and he felt sin. He felt shame. He felt guilt. He felt remorse. He felt what everybody feels. He felt that, and he took it on this. He took it on this cross, and he was going to suffer. I, that, there's a, I, I know I'm not sure that any human being can understand the kind of love that he had. I, I'm not sure. You know, the Bible calls it an agape love. It means love in spite of anything. That everybody around, everybody in this world, everybody in this building, everybody here is loved so much that he gives us chance after chance after chance after chance. And he did that. And it didn't have to. He could have called down a legion of angels, 10,000 angels, and could have come down and they could have destroyed the world. Completely destroyed the world. But he didn't. And you can imagine he's up there in his shame and the condition he's in. And, uh, and on either side of him was, was two thieves. One of them was railing at him and telling him, he said, you know, take yourself, you'll be the son of God, take yourself off the cross. The other thief, you know, he, he looked at him and he said, he said remember me. Remember me. He's, this is a sinless man. And you know what Jesus did? He looked at him and he said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Today. So he forgave him on that cross. The other one didn't get that because he didn't ask he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So even, even through his wounds, a priest's message one time, we said that on either side of his, his arms, he could look past his hurt here and see a thief over here. He looked past the hurt and the pain in this hand and seen another thief. So he looked past his wounds and saw a need. I think everybody, everybody should feel that way. When we get hurt, when we get wounded, we need to look past those wounds and do just exactly the way he did and see a need on the other side. It's the most, it's the most uh, wonderful thing to be able to look past that and to see and look like Jesus and see like Jesus did. At Calvary, the sinless Lamb of God was sacrificed for the remission of sins. Look at Hebrews hard for me to do this part of it because I, it seems so fresh to me that I've been in church for 30 years now, but it seems like it was yesterday that I was no good, you know, and, and Jesus looked way down and, and picked me up, picked me up. And every time I look at this and do this part, I can't help but it, it begins to always touch me, to break me up. 922. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Unless he'd shed his blood, we would never get forgiveness, would never get remission of sins. Never. But because of that, a new way is made open to us. When he said it is finished, he meant the old law was over with. Everything, all the Passover meals, all the, all the festivals, all the festivities, all the sacrifices, everything that the Old Testament called for, no longer necessary. Now we can go into the, boldly into the... There's, a, there's the duck. Now we can go into his presence boldly. <clears throat> the veil was rent. That meant, see, the, the, the veil was three foot thick. And the Bible says that when Jesus said it is finished, that veil was rent asunder three foot thick an unseen hand cut it and what that meant was a priest a high priest was the only one allowed past the veil but when Jesus died he was telling everybody everybody can come into my presence no matter who you are you can come into my presence aren't you glad let's bow our heads Father we thank you for your blessings we thank you for all that you've done God somehow allow this allow this to touch us allow us to be everyone that has heard it Bill and Amy and all those that are out there. Let it help us to understand what you did for all of us. 
And regardless of how wounded we may be, we have to look past the hurt and the pain and look to the needs of others. Let us be touched, Jesus, because you first offered everything. You offered your life, Jesus. You offered us hope by offering your life. Your blood covered every sin that ever was committed and ever will be committed. Thank you for that. Help us to strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you guys. Lord bless you.